despite being tempted, he lived a perfect and sinless life. And in living a perfect and sinless life, he didn't deserve to die. It's because the wages of sin is death. And he is sinless. And so he gave up his life on the cross. He died on the cross. But more than that, he took the internal punishment of God for the sins of his people. That moment there was a, a transaction. The sins of his people were laid upon him and God poured out the wrath and the punishment that those sins deserved. And it was symboled and signified in the death of Jesus. He died. And his dead body was put in the tomb. And the tomb was sealed. But on the third day he rose from the dead victoriously. Showing that he had conquered sin and death and the devil. And he'd done it in a way that we could be made right with God. Jesus is now sat at the right hand of God. And when he left this world he gave his followers the gift of the Holy Spirit to help them. And now God calls on all men to repent and believe and become followers of him. Restoring that broken relationship with him through Christ and giving us true peace and eternal life in Christ. And now is the acceptable time. Salvation. This is the gospel message. This is the good news that this broken world needs to hear. As H.A. was saying in his prayer, there is lists and lists of things in this world that are wrong and bad and nasty. And we, we think of them, and the only answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only answer is this gospel message is because we are at enmity with God. So this is the good news. This is the good news that the Apostle Paul was passionate about and excited about. And he just wanted everyone to hear this good news, to hear this gospel message. And last week's passage was not about Paul giving a definitive right or wrong in regard to financial allowances for the gospel. Should he be paid? Should he not be paid? That wasn't what it was. He showed an example of his heart. And his heart was so gospel-centered that he was willing to give up his right to finance because he thought it would be better for the gospel. He says of himself and Barnabas, nevertheless, we've not made use of this right. That's the right. They could take that money, but they chose in their freedom not. And he said, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. That was the Apostle Paul's mindset. His mindset was to do anything, take anything for the team, as it were, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. That was his passion. And that was what he was about. And that was because he really knew and believed and, and was overwhelmed by the gospel message. Last week in our Zoom session, one of the questions was, how can we be more gospel-minded? How can we be more motivated? What we need to do, friends, is just dwell on what Christ has done for us. We don't do it enough. We don't think of the, the wonder of what it was meant for God to send his only son to this world. What it meant for the sinless one to die. 
who not just died, but the sinless one, to take on board your sin. The Apostle Paul had that in his mind, that gospel message. And he just knew that that had to get out. And so Paul keeps on in his in his uh, in this chapter and develops it further. And there's another area of freedom, or sometimes we call this Christian liberty. There's another area of Christian liberty, another area of freedom that he's going to give up. In verse 19, he says, "For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant." to all. Seems a bit foolish, doesn't it? If you're free and then you make yourself a servant, what would, what would possess you to do that? And this is something that would really resonate with the Corinthians because quite a lot of them would have been slaves and they'd have been desperate for their freedom and people that were free would have been protective of that. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, I, I, I'm free from all. I'm, I'm nobody's man. I'm free from all, but I've made myself a servant to all. Paul, why? What's going on here? What are you doing this for? And he said, that I might win more of them. That I might win more of them. The gospel message is what he was concerned about, that people might come to know God as their, their own personal heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, Though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Uh, commentator Andrew David Nallis said this of this passage, Christian liberty for Paul is not, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Rather, it is, I am free to flex the sake of the gospel. And I have to confess, I, I really quite like that statement. Free to flex for the sake of the gospel. I think that the, the commentator that's writing this was trying to be all things to all people, and it was not so long back in the UK that this word flex sort of changed its meaning. And uh, I have to confess, it was a little while back that my daughter Leah taught me the meaning of the word flex. It works in several different ways here, but basically the Apostle Paul is wanting to show the gospel off. He wants to flex the gospel. He wants people to, to see the gospel, know the gospel, hear the gospel. Or, or for some of you, you may think, well, it's to be flexible. Yes, he wants to be flexible for the gospel. So it works that way too. To show the gospel off, to be flexible to be the gospel. Or for some people, it's just to be relaxed in something. He is relaxed in the gospel. The gospel has taken control of him. And so, if you want to be winning for the gospel, you need to know the gospel for yourself. And you need to know what you are about. And that's our second point. You need to know what you are about I don't know if you heard of a gentleman called Ziggy Ziglar. He's one of the big motivational speakers, getting older now. But he said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Or someone else said that if you aim at nothing, you will hit nothing. You've probably heard the expression, if you're failing to plan, you're planning to fail. The, the Apostle Paul knew what he was aiming at. 
he, he knew what he was about. And Paul is emphasizing what he said earlier in the passage that we were looking at last week. He is all about the gospel. He wants the truth of the gospel to work in the hearts of the lost around him so that they might be one for Christ. And just in these first five verses there, running on from verse uh, 19, we, this word one comes up five times. It's there. He wants them to win them. He wants them to be one. He wants them to be win. He wants to win them. He wants them to be one. And then he clarifies this meaning of one with an explanation in verse 22. He says that by all means I might save some. And, and now before we tell Paul off for being a heretic, Paul doesn't save them. Christ saves them. But Paul is used in their salvation. That's what he's meaning, yeah? Don't try and make him say something that he's not. Paul never says that. When you look through his writing, you realize clearly that we are only saved by grace. We're only saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul could not save anybody. No one can save anybody else. The only one that we can be saved by is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel message. But he has so got it on his mind. He wants to win people for Christ. He wants people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's his mindset. He wants to, to do this by all means, that he might save some, that he might be involved in the salvation of others. This is his burning passion. This is his desire. This is why he was willing to get shipwrecked. This is why he was willing to go to prison. This is why he was willing to be beaten. This is why he was willing to be stoned. This is why he was willing to walk thousands of miles around Turkey and Greece and all the way to Rome. This is what motivated him. He wanted the gospel message to go out. He wanted to, people to hear that Christ came on a rescue mission to save his people from their sins. And he wanted people to know it. And so he wanted to win them for Christ, he wanted people to be saved. And that's what he was aiming at. That was his aim, that was his motivation, that was his burning passion. And we just have to stop, don't we, and say, Do you know what you're aiming at? Do you know what you are aiming at? What is your life all about? What is your burning passion? What is your life's purpose? And regardless of what it is, if you haven't got an aim or a purpose, then what are you going to attain in this life? And then if you have got an aim and a purpose, what is it? For the Apostle Paul, it was for the Gospel. Verse 19, for though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Paul's passion was the gospel, to see people saved, to see them brought into the kingdom of God, and he was willing to give up his freedom and be a servant because he wanted people to be saved. He's giving up his freedom and he is serving he was free from all, but then he became a servant of all. You see, this is the true mark of an apostle. It's the true mark of a pastor. But the reality is, friends, this is a true mark of a believer. 
The Apostle Paul doesn't just say, this is my responsibility and not yours. He was saying to the Corinthians, he was teaching the Corinthians something that as he was gospel-minded, as he was motivated for the gospel to go out, so should they be. They've been saved by the same grace as he was. And they should be motivated and passionate by the same things as he was. He was not bothered about his status or his comfort. He was only concerned about the gospel saving people. You, you'll know what's important to you in connection to your actions, yeah? When your alarm clock goes off in the morning, yes? And the night before you said, I must get up early. And your alarm goes off early, early. And you just switch it off. Your actions are telling you you want to sleep more than you want to get up. And when you say you want to share the gospel message, and you never do, your actions are saying, more about what you want than you care for others to know. What are your actions saying about you? You may have a motivation, but what are your actions saying? You may be excited by the gospel, but what is your action saying about you? What do you sacrifice things for? few years back, it's a long time back now, it must be about seven, eight years back when I was in Nigeria, that the guy that I was being taken around by, we, we were in the middle of this bush, in the middle of nowhere, the little motorbike bounces past, uh, and the guy on the motorbike was on his mobile phone. The mobile phone, what's that all about? Uh, and my, my driver, the guy that takes us around, said, look, gents, these people would rather eat, rather not eat, to be able to use their phone. They sacrifice food so that they can get credit on their phone. I don't know if you've experienced that, but that was the experience they were having in that area. And, and, and I've witnessed people give up, give up all sorts of things and endure all manner of hardship for education. We all here in Cyprus, you're enduring that. For education and people endure all sorts of things for education people endure all sorts of things for love and marriage people endure all sorts of things but friend the question is this what have you ever given up for the gospel what are you prepared to give up for the gospel are you willing to be laughed at for the gospel are you willing to lose a friend over the gospel are you willing to, 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 to miss out on a job opportunity? The, the Apostle Paul was just singly minded for the gospel. And yes, he was uniquely used of God. But I dare say, a lot of you would like to be uniquely used of God. But there's a price. There's a seriousness about you. And if you want be winning for the gospel, you need to know what you're about. Thirdly, you need to overcome obstacles. The, uh, the picture that you've seen here at the very beginning of 
the picture you saw on social media was a picture of a chameleon. I think Dawn loves chameleons. She likes chameleons. They change color. They change color with their environment. They adapt to their environment. And this is what the Apostle Paul was a master doing. He adapted to his environment. In verse 20 it says, To the Jews I became as Jews in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, as though not being under the law myself. That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. Paul, that says, was like a chameleon. He, he changed to the environment that he was in. And so when he was with Jews, he was thinking in that way. When he was non-Jews, he was thinking that way. When he was with others, he was thinking that way. But he wasn't doing it like this. There's a slogan, there's a statement that we say, when in Rome, do as the Romans, you just lower yourself to lower standards and you try to please people. That's not what he's about. He, he was being strategic about the gospel. He, he, he was trying to understand those who needed Christ. And as he understood them, he wanted to, to meet them at their point. And he wanted to give the gospel the best chance. Now, now Paul, in his own, by his own confession, was primarily an apostle of the Gentiles. He says that in Galatians 2.7. He says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's the Gentiles, that was his role. He knew that he had a special calling to the uncircumcised. But at the same time, he was concerned for the salvation of the Jews. He, he was concerned by that. And it says in Romans chapter 9 and verse 3, he says, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers and my kinsmen according to the flesh. That's deep. He said, if it was possible, I would lose my salvation so that my Jewish brothers would be saved. That's how committed he was to the gospel. Now, it's a madness because that could never happen theoretically. But it, it's where he was at. It's where his mind was. He was so moved for his own people, the Jews, that this is where he was. Uh, and we know that whenever he went to different places, we read about this in Acts uh, 17, verse 2, he would find the synagogue. And it says there in Acts 17, verse 2, they came to Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue for the Jews, and Paul went in there, as was his custom. And he went in there each Sabbath day, and he went there to take the gospel to them. You see, Paul strategically accommodates the Jews. He was a Jew, and so he used this as a key to open the Jews' heart. He knew what they were thinking. He knew where their obstacles would be. He knew where their minds were. Paul was not under the Mosaic law. He was not under that. He was under Christ's law. But there are situations that he would choose to flex the following aspects of the Mosaic law so he could evangelize. And there's, a, there's an example of that in Acts 16, in verse 3. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. In fact, Timothy gets the hardship of this one because he took him and circumcised him because he knew the Jews were in those places for they all knew his father was a Greek. And they did this. They didn't do this for salvation's sake. They did this for the gospel's sake. They knew that by doing this, that the gospel would be able to go forward. And so he was willing to strategically accommodate the Jews so that the gospel could be shared. In Acts 21, 
In verse 20, it tells him, keeping the Jewish vow, he, he does that. And it's so that the Jewish people would listen to him. And so he gave up his freedom for the sake of the Jews. He, he wouldn't eat pork in front of the Jews. That would upset them. He, he, would, he would have a mind of where they were at culturally so that he could strategically communicate to them. He was overcoming barriers. He strategically accommodates the Gentiles. Paul strategically accommodates the Gentiles. He was a, a Roman citizen. And he used to use that as, as the key to open the door to the Gentiles. They, they lived outside the Mosaic law, and that could have been a problem to someone of Jewish descent. And some of the ways that they greeted each other and ate and their habits and their what would have been, oh, but Paul didn't care. He, he went past that. He didn't mind. He, Paul is willing to live comfortably amongst the Gentiles in a way that would be really uncomfortable for an ethnic Jew, but he was willing to overcome that. He, he adapts his lifestyle to foreign customs, and it affects the way that Paul behaves, and it affects the way he preaches the gospel message. And this sermon at Mars Hill in Athens in, in Acts chapter 17 is a classic example of this. There he is with the heathen all around them, and he uses some of their poetry, and he points to some of their statues, and talks about their idols, and uses it to be able to bring the gospel message. And so, clearly, to the Jew, he was a Jew, and to a Gentile, he was a Gentile. And he was flexing for the sake of the gospel. He was showing the gospel off in a, in a flexible way to those people. He never watered the gospel down. He never changed the message. But he realized who he was speaking to. And so he changed his tack and changed his approach. And then he strategically accommodates the weak. To the weak I became weak. And, and, and this weak could be several things. It could be uh, uh, weak believers in contrast to the elite. And in chapter uh, 1 it talks about those that are not mighty and those that are mighty. And it may have been people that felt themselves socially uh, outcast. And, and he accommodates them. Or, or it could be believers that had a weak conscience in a particular area, like we saw in chapter 8 with the eating of meat. And, and that lines up with what he goes on to say in chapter 10 and verse 32, because he says, Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or the church, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they might be saved. So the weak could have been those believers that had pure consciences, but more than likely it was in unbelievers. Unbelievers that had weak consciences in particular areas. For example, there are those with theologically incorrect opinions of eating food offered to idols. And again, we see that outlined in chapter 10 and verse 28. But some of you say, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, and do not eat it for the sake of the one who formed you, and for the sake of his conscience. And so he sympathized with the weak, and he encouraged them. He was all things to all men. That encompasses it all, doesn't it? He's given three particular examples, but those examples that have gone out, he was all things to all men. And it simply means that he had this ability of accommodating himself to others. He had this desire to understand them. 
He wanted to accommodate. He didn't want to offend. He wanted to sit with them. He wanted to listen to them. He wanted to understand them because he wanted to win them for Christ. He wanted the opportunity to share the gospel message. My brother's done a lot of business uh, in Turkey. And uh, he was saying that often he was flying back from Turkey to the UK. And there'll be other businessmen around him. And they'd all be looking a bit sort of depressed, a bit upset. And the brother would know that they hadn't got the deal that they wanted. And so he'd just strike up casual conversation with them, ask them how they got on in Turkey. And invariably they'd say, well, we came in high hopes, but it didn't quite happen. My brother would just ask them, how many cups of tea did you have? And, and these the businessmen sort of look at him and say, oh, sorry. They say, how many cups of tea did you drink? And they'll say, well, well I, I possibly had one. That's at least 20 a day. You see, if you want to do business in Turkey, you need to drink tea. And honestly, if you want to share the gospel in Turkey, you need to drink tea. You need to know where the people are at. You need to realize that that's the way it happens. My limited, limited experience of Nigeria in Kogi State is you need to sit underneath the nut tree. Because everyone gathers there when it's hot, don't they? And then you, and you sit and you talk, and that's where it happens. And then you need to, this is what Paul was doing. He was looking at where people were at and realizing the most important thing was the gospel. How can I share the gospel? As one commentator said, Paul was not a tactless bull in the china shop. That might be a very English expression, but it's a wonderful one. If you take a bull into a china shop where all your crockery is, what happens? It's mayhem, isn't it? Paul wasn't like that. He wasn't like a bull in a china shop. He, 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 he didn't use the same approach of all he met. He was different. He used tact to get contact. And he was willing to sacrifice his own privilege to win the lost. Now, our situation is different, isn't it, to his? But we need that same attitude. We need to look at it. We're all different nationalities in this room, aren't we? We're from different cultures, different tribes, different languages, and there's plenty of opportunity for us to practice this. And, and God willing, this evening, come on Zoom, because I want us to think about how we can practically work this out. I haven't got time to, to go into it now. Alistair McLaren said, we do no good by standing aloof on a height and flinging the gospel at people below. That's sometimes what we do. Think of ourselves as rather wonderful and say, okay, have a gospel. Have a tract. How dare you, sinful person? You fornicator, you whatever it is. That's not the gospel. That's not what the Apostle Paul did. He was all things to all people. And this will not happen by accident. And that's our fourth point. You need to be disciplined. You need to be disciplined. This comes on to what we were seeing so vividly with the, um, the children's talk, I hope. Verse 24. You do not, do not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Paul is just proving that point here. He knows the Corinthians. And he knows that they loved the games. Just 
close to Corinth itself was the place where they had the Isthmian Games. They were the next biggest thing to the Olympic Games. They, they drew a huge crowd. They drew some of the best athletes. It was held just outside of Corinth. And the Greeks were really, really serious about their games. And so they've been known about this, yeah? For, for some of you, it's like the Premiership League, yeah? You're really serious about that. You know all about it, yeah? And then the Greeks would know all about the, uh, the, the games and knew all about the, the running and the runners. And this guy, uh, Epitus, he's a, a Greek Stoic philosopher, wrote this about the games. And he said, would you be a victor in the Olympic Games? Would you be a victor in the Olympic Games? So in good truth, would I? For it's a glorious thing. But pray and consider what must go before and what may follow. And so proceed the attempt. You must live by rule and eat what will be disagreeable and refrain from delicacies. You must oblige yourself to constant exercise at the appointed hour in heat and cold. You must abstain from wine and cold liquor. In a word, you must be submissive to all direction of your master as to those of a physician. Those athletes took it seriously. Ten months before those games, they would go there. They'd be training. They had to sign a commitment that they would do this. Abstain from all manner of things. And it was signed and it was sealed and they were serious. And they did it to win what? A perishable wreath. As a child, I used to really like the Romans. I don't know why. Perhaps because they conquered England, I don't know. But the Romans were really into the uh, Olympic Games and uh, into games. And, and they had these wreaths, these laurel wreaths that were awarded to them. And my mum had had kindness. And she never really forgot this. Had, there was a florist friend in the church, and she had this lady make me a laurel wreath. Yeah, can you imagine this? So my mother came and presented me with my own winner's laurel wreath. Do I have it now? No, I don't. In fact, I don't think I had it five days afterwards because the wretched thing, or the wonderful thing, should I say, <laughs> did what all plants do when they're not living in the ground. It died and withered. And these people are putting this massive effort into getting this wreath, yes? Of course they've got some notoriety, and of course they've got some hero worship, but in reality they were running for something that is perishable. And Paul uses it and says, look, they're, they're, they're doing all this for what is perishable. And, and the exhortation is to take the winning of the gospel seriously. And this is it, friends. We are running. We are sharing the gospel for the imperishable. The lost are lost eternally. Their soul is eternally damned. Punishment is forever and ever and ever. And what the value of the soul is, is imperishable. And Paul is saying to these people, you're running after the imperishable. They're willing to discipline themselves for something that fades. But you need to discipline yourself for something that's not going to fade. 
Something that's going to bring glory to God. We are running for the imperishable. Now this is often applied to our Christian life. That's the wrong emphasis. This passage is, is not about just our Christian life. This passage is about the gospel and taking the gospel out. And the Apostle Paul was saying to himself and to the Corinthians and to us now, this is serious, serious business. You need to take it seriously. You need to take it really seriously. Because lives are at stake. People's eternal lives are at stake. Gospel soul winning is for eternity. It's an imperishable prize. Now friends, let's think about it now. You died yesterday. You're in heaven. How many people are going to come up to you and say, thank you for sharing the gospel with me. The Lord used you in my conversion. challenging question isn't it? it's a really challenging question because this is this is what it's about how many people will be in heaven because God in his sovereignty used your efforts and used your self-control and used your determination what are the fruits and the blessings of your labour could have been. And Paul had this in his mind, and he had it in his mind, and so in verse 26 he says, I don't run aimlessly. You, you see someone like Hussein Bolt, and, and, and yes, he fist bumps people, and he's pretty casual and cool, but when he gets into those starting blocks, he just has one thing in his mind. You can see it, can't you? He doesn't sort of do a little detour, do a high five to the person to the left or the right. He just goes straight. And, and, and people who are doing longer distances, they don't take a detour often. They, they don't detour, they just go straight. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm not running aimlessly, I've got an aim, I've got a purpose. And he brings boxing in, I don't box as one beating the air. You possibly heard of shadow boxing. One of the things that boxers do earlier in their training is just for fight the air, get their punches and things right. It's useless. But what's more useless is when you're there in the ring and you've got someone in front of you and, and you go and you swing at them and you miss. It's of no value at all. You've wasted your energy. And Paul said, I'm not going to swing aimlessly. Each one of my gospel punches is going to hit somebody. I'm going to hit them, spiritually speaking. Please, don't get me wrong here. Don't get Paul wrong here. But he's so, so, so caught up in this, isn't he? Because he's disciplined. Because he realizes that lives are at stake. Eternal lives are at stake. He wants to see people come to faith. He wants to see God's glory lifted on high. He wants to see God's name honored. And that leads us on to the final point. You need the right motivation to to be winning for the gospel, you need the right motivation. Verse 23 says, I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. That verse literally reads, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in it. It's not so much about the blessings, it's about the gospel. It's about the nature 
for Paul, winning souls was all about the gospel. It was all about God. It was all about God's glory. We, we, we never have a count of the Apostle Paul's list of those that were converted under his ministry. That's not what it's about. We don't have the numbers and the sizes of the churches recorded. That's not what it's about. It's about the gospel. He personally wanted to have a share in the gospel, his own salvation. And he personally wanted to share it with others, to see them saved. All of that would be to God's glory. That was his motivation. Friend, are you motivated by the gospel? Are you excited by the gospel? Are you amazed by the gospel? Because that's where the Apostle Paul was. That was his motivation. And he didn't want to be disqualified. Verse 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We can change that preaching to proclaiming it to others, sharing it with others. Yes, Paul has a particular task of preaching and proclaiming in that way, but we all have a particular responsibility of sharing and proclaiming the gospel. And then Paul was going to discipline himself and keep himself under control so he shouldn't be disqualified. He doesn't want to become disqualified. This is part of his motivation. Now, now Paul's fear of being disqualified has got nothing to do with losing his salvation. He's not talking about salvation for Christian servants. You see, Paul is, is not teaching that a, a true believer can lose his salvation. God's word is clear on that. And I'll just give you one proof text, John 10, 28. Jesus said, I gave them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And we'll give you many, many more. But someone that is a true believer produces self-denying fruit. People that are true believers operate like Paul. Maybe not to the same degree. That's the level that we're aiming for. But there's a sense that a true believer will be concerned about being disqualified because the Apostle Paul knew that if he did not bear any fruit, if he was not involved in self-denial, if there was no evidence of faith, then he may never have been the Lord's in the first place. Works never save. Sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, doesn't save the one who's doing it. But their works are evidence of faith. And faith that has evidences of works prove that it's real. And the Apostle Paul was concerned about that. That's the gospel. The gospel changes people. And the Apostle Paul was changed. He didn't want to be changed back. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to not be there. He wanted to be the real thing. And his actions showed that he was. He was motivated by the gospel. And he was motivated because he was concerned that he didn't want to be disqualified. He wanted God to have all the glory. So winning for the gospel, Paul's gospel flex, you need to know the gospel for yourself, do you? 
You need to know what you're all about. Do you? You need to overcome obstacles. Are you? You need to be disciplined. Will you be? And do you have the right motivation? And who knows what amazing things could happen here in Cyprus if we took that and run with it. And as we dissipate all around the world, what a blessing it could be to so many parts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fullness of it. And we pray and we plead with you that each and every one here would know the gospel for themselves. Almighty God, we plead with you. Those that know you as our Savior, unite together. And we plead with you now that, that any here who do not know you would come to know you now before it is too late. Oh Lord God, we plead with you that you would open their blind eyes, that you would break through their hardened hearts and break into their broken lives and show them your love and your mercy and enable them to call upon your name. Oh Lord God, we cannot save them, but you can. May you do that. And for those of us that know the gospel and we are your children, help us to know what we're about. Oh Lord God, forgive us when we've got our priorities all wrong and we sacrifice to the wrong things. May we sacrifice to the gospel. May we be like the Apostle Paul, so motivated by it that we just single-minded and wanting to be part of it and wanting to see your word and your glory promoted. And may that work in our lives so that we're willing to overcome those obstacles. May we, oh Lord God, be willing to Get rid of our freedom so that we could become all things to all people, so that we might win some. May we be disciplined. Oh Lord God, many people in this congregation are very disciplined people. And they're proving that in their education, they're proving that in their career. But may we be known as a church that is disciplined for the gospel and God's glory. And may you take the honor. Give us that right motivation, oh Lord God. May it be for you to you. May it be for the gospel, and may we be concerned about your glory, we pray. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.